And we are back. This is Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez, and this is the Out of Health Podcast. How are we doing, everybody? So, subject tonight, subject of discussion, subject of this podcast anyways, discipline and anti-discipline. So this is something that I recorded a podcast some months back on how discipline can be proactive laziness, how discipline by setting yourself up to have requirements to do things, you essentially avoid having downtime and you avoid being lazy. Simple enough concept. But yeah, I've been exploring the subject of discipline in more detail. Since it, on the surface, it seems very simple. On the surface, it seems that you know discipline is you doing things consistently and you do them and then there's things you don't do and you have disciplined life. But for the degree and to the extent that people struggle with discipline, there is more to it than just doing things and not doing things. You have to really examine what these things mean. And then when it comes to implementing discipline, there has to be purpose to it. There has to be purpose to it, and there has to be meaning beyond something just being good for you, so it should be done, or not good for you, so don't do it. So, you know, to kick this off, you know, what what are we talking about when we define discipline? Uh, I divide in two, two precepts. There's two parts to it. There's what you practice, that's number one, what you practice, what you are grateful to practice. You are practicing what is good for you. Number two, there is what you refrain from practicing. There is what you refrain from engaging. There is what you do not do, and you are grateful as well for not doing it because those things are not good for you. So if you distill that down, you have discipline being what you do. You have discipline being what you do not do. And I believe that we can all mutually agree that discipline is good for us. I don't think that I need to make an argument that you should be disciplined versus being out of control and having no purpose, having no structure, having a chaotic life. I, I, I doubt anyone would make an argument that that's a good way to live. So that's what discipline is. And that, like I said, that seems simple enough, but that is incomplete. And it's incomplete because discipline, if you only interpret it at that surface level, then implementing it and trying to live it is difficult. And the reason why for this is that discipline, if it is to be lived out, it must must be first, second, and third order. So, you know, to familiarize you guys with this, the, the mental model that I'm referring to. So first, second, third order thinking. You know, it's it's something like this. And I'm simplifying for the sake of, you know, the podcast and not having a completely separate discussion. But first order thinking is Noticing what is obvious. Second order thinking is noticing what you see and then reacting to it. So all, all human beings are capable of first and second order thinking. Uh, you know, even if you're really low IQ, you know, you get hot, you want to you know take off your jacket. You get cold, you want to put your jacket on. You know, so you're noticing your body's reaction, and then you're reacting to it. That's first and second order. And then third order is the consequences of consequences. So this gets heavier when you get into, you know, sort of, let's just say, systems analysis, uh, mental models where you have first order effects, you have second order consequences of those effects, and then you have consequences of consequences. So when you're looking at, you know, multifactorial complex systems, first, second, third order, it gets more involved. Now, here's the thing about that, though. Your life is a multi-complex, multi-system, multi-order, first, second, third order scenario setup system. You know, you're, there's a lot to living. So when you're talking about something like discipline, you could approach it very simple. You eat unhealthy. 
You gain weight. You need to diet. Okay, yes, it is that, but that's not going deep enough. It's not going deep enough. The vast majority of people, when they try to implement discipline, they don't think past first or second order. Or what they do is they want to create third order effects where your life is uh, you know, your life is unhealthy and you want to get to a point where you feel healthy, you feel great, you feel wonderful. So you start making these reactionary changes to everything. But then you end up running into third order consequences where people don't like that you're changing. Or you realize that change is difficult and what you thought would be easy to implement, well, you didn't realize that the consequent the, you didn't realize that the consequences of consequences of consequences of consequences are going to have, you know, consequences in themselves. So you make this vast circle of what you think is simple where I'm going to eat healthier becomes, oh, my family's trying to sabotage me. And I realize that I have, you know, food issues in regards to my emotional state. And I also realize I use food as a coping mechanism. And I also realize that I'm lonely. And I also realize that my coworker's not supportive of me. And I also realize I don't know anything about nutrition. And this keeps going on and on and on. You know, that's why I say discipline has to be Deep discipline. It has to be discipline that affect that it has to be discipline that is directed at the first, second, third order effects of your life. It cannot be discipline that is just, you know, somewhat arbitrary of I want to do this, so I'll do this and I'll stop doing that. The vast majority of people try to implement discipline only after recognizing their lack of it. Yeah, you know, like I said, recognition that's first order. I'm not disciplined. And they're trying to fix that, second order, the solution to the apparent problems. But then when you're dealing with the consequence of all those changes, you end up in a battle with yourself. You are stuck between trying to maintain new habits and you're dealing with the unpleasant side effects and disruptions it causes in your life. You know, your new habits clash with your old habits and then that requires rearranging so many things. And what's, what, what really am I getting at with all this Since as I've just restated the point? It's the realization that everything affects everything. You know, so deep discipline, the kind that you want to implement that's a kind that's going to have purpose to it. That's going to require you to break your life down into layers and really evaluate what it is you're going to do. Reactive discipline, well, that's root in reaction. I'm unhealthy. I better lose weight. Uh, I want more time to do things. I'm going to wake up early. That, that's too generic. That's not good enough. You, you can try to do things that way, but like I said, you're going to end up in, in a pernicious battle with yourself very swiftly. You know, unless your life is very simple and you're single and you're only responsible for yourself and you have total control over your schedule, well, then it can be not so hard to implement new, you know, disciplined habits and stop doing things. But if you've been alive a while and you have people that depend on you or you are a manager or you are, you know, you are anyone where, in a position where you have responsibilities that are outside of yourself, well, then implementing discipline and trying to be more disciplined, it's going to be multi-level. It's not singular. So discipline then, you know, kind of recap that even further. You know, why does it fail for a lot of people? Discipline fails because people are reacting to their own lives. They're creating band-aid behaviors, and you're, they're ignoring the root causes. You're living accidentally. You have no real clarity of vision as to what you want to have your life or who you want to be. Uh, you focus on the short term. You know, and then when you implement discipline, you feel like you're denying yourself. You get undone by the third-order effects of trying to change your first-order uh, you know, non-thinking, you know, sort of dull, zombie-like way of living. You do, you do it that way, you end up in the fight, as I said, with yourself. You're at war with your own personality. Good luck. It's not going to work. It's never going to turn out well. All that said, though, what is the solution? The solution is deep discipline, anti-discipline. And anti-discipline gets into the identity of who do you want to be. To use myself as example, 
I guess, in the scenario. So, you know, by most estimations, people would consider me a disciplined person. I train every day. I practice my art every day, which is ballet. I do that for hours at a time. My diet's 95% healthy. I write every day. I write a lot of words every day. So I maintain a high level of output and conversation. I tweet every day. I you know I email every day. I have I have my online business and I do these things daily. I'm always doing them. So I'm, I'm disciplined, right? I'm disciplined, sure. Uh, you know, but in, by my own consideration, if I look at my life, I don't consider what I do discipline. I don't. You know, in light of, in, in light of how I live, I consider that much of what I myself practice is not in fact what I say yes to. You know, as the current cliche goes, but rather. I am very adamant in what I consciously decline to engage in. I am very certain of what I say no to doing. What I do daily is so ritualized at this point that it's difficult for me to even consider it discipline. It is, honestly. It doesn't require any real mental effort on my part at all. It's not a struggle. It's not something that I'm fighting to get done. Uh, you know, so that's myself, you know, to give you my own account. You know, but then beyond myself, considering the, the clients I've had, the people I've worked with, the people I've studied, you know, so ranging from artists to dancers to special forces individuals to professors to, you know, uh, I, I mean, I've had billionaire clients. I've had people that are vastly wealthy. I've had lawyers, scientists, musicians. I, I've known a breadth of people. The highest performing and most productive of all of them, their lives were, were and are defined pretty much entirely by doing only one or two things exclusively and doing next to nothing else in anything that is not their passion purpose work. So they're very much defined by what they don't do. This is what anti-discipline is. It's the discipline of negation that disciplined people practice, which it's done not simply because those things are not good for you, not good for them, but the discipline of negation is recognizing that anything that detracts from your purpose and passion of living and anything that detracts from what your vision is, it's not worth doing. That's why people that are highly disciplined, they're not vague people. You don't meet anybody that has a highly disciplined lifestyle who has a dull personality and isn't about anything. Nobody is disciplined by accident. It's for a reason. So you could count, you could divide discipline in two categories, going back to what I said at the beginning. You have what you do, you have what you don't do. You have the discipline of action, of discipline of affirmation. You have the discipline of negation, the discipline of saying no. So there's two realms to the discipline. And where do you start with them? Where do you actually start? You can start with, well, what do I want to say yes to? But I think, I think to really clarify your identity, you have to define to what you are going to say no to. Because what you say no to, that gives you the freedom to say yes. That gives you the capacity to put your energy into something. The discipline of negation requires a concrete internal sense of being an identity. And, you know, your external identity... Uh, you know, with that, that can change, obviously. You know, your external identity, you will evolve over your life. You know, myself, I'm a ballet dancer, writer, personal trainer, philosopher. Uh, you could throw me into self-help, self-improvement guy. You know, I'm a Mexican Jew, uh, a you know, dime store philosopher. I'm an author. I speak. I, you know, I market myself. I know about, you know, I, there's lots of things that I do that I can group into my identity. But that's my external identity. That's my external identity, and that, that's not easy to categorize. And, and you shouldn't be easy to categorize either. Uh, you know, obviously, we can be identified by our professions. I'm a personal trainer. Okay. We can be identified by what we do. 
you know, someone like Jocko Willink, he was a Navy SEAL, yes, but he, uh, he is more than just his title. Everyone is more than just their title. The concrete internal sense of being identity that the discipline of negation creates, that is knowing what it is that, that is knowing what you love, that is knowing what you worship, that is having a clarity of purpose as to what you are living your life for, that is having meaning. You know, that, that is the answer to the questions of, you know, who do I want to be? Who do I want to turn into? You know, what is my life for? What is the per- what is the meaning of life? You know, those, you know, universal and cliched but you know, highly powerful questions. It's having the answers in a way to those questions. Maybe they're not completely crystal answers, but they are answers. It's knowing what you are about. It is knowing what you live for, and it is doing it. That's not an impossible thing. We occupy a society now where oftentimes we like to assign this idea that. Yeah, you know, because you know, because of pluralism, because of moral relativism, um, there is this idea that you you can't know what you live for, you can't know what you're about, you can never really know. No, no one has all the answers. No, you cannot. No, I'll agree on certain terms. Nobody has all the answers. Nobody ever knows 100% without question everything that they are doing because you can never have a novel experience otherwise. Nobody knows things to the omniscient, omnipotent degree. But you can know things. You can know what you live for. You can know that. Yeah, you know, and maybe day to day it changes a little bit without manifest itself, manifests itself, but you can know that. You can have purpose and you can know what your purpose is. You can have something that you have passion for and it is clear to you and unquestioning. You can have that. What that evolves into with time? Yes. You don't know that. You don't know the future, but you can certainly direct it. Certainly you can direct it. So don't get caught into the pluralistic relativist trap that, you know, it's impossible to know thyself. You can know yourself, and you can also create yourself. You know, and that is what the discipline of negation does. That's your, that's your internal identity. Where are, the, where are the principal qualities of being that drive you? What are those things? You know, when you try to implement discipline into your life, yeah, this is where people run to imposter syndrome often enough, since you feel like you're faking it. Uh, you feel like you're not really this person that's doing these things. That, that this is, you know, this is this is a, you know, this is a this is a smokescreen. This is a horse and pony show. You're doing this stuff, and people are seeing you do this, and they think you're this way, but you're really not this way. That's your internal identity. That's uncertain, and it's uncertain because it's changing. So it's normal to question your newfound discipline. It's it's normal to question discipline, and it's normal to struggle with it. Getting back to the point, though, what does anti-discipline you know, do for you then? What does discipline negation do for you then? Anti-discipline is the it's a hard and fast you know, practice of way of living where you do not do the things that do not serve you. It's where you consciously make a choice to not do certain things and not engage in certain activities and not do certain people because you do not want your freedom of being yourself to be inhibited. So you're designing your life around what your purpose is, and then you are also designing your life around what you know inhibits your purpose. You know, or you're just, you are designing your life away from that. You know, that would be very interesting. You're designing yourself away from the things that interfere with what it is you believe you should be doing. And that's powerful. It's powerful because it accounts for the third order effects. You create first order anti-habits, things that you do not do. And then in the long term, and the midterm, and the short term, then that creates a life for you that you want. So, context established with all of that. Since that was a lot of stuff, and I know I rambled through some of it. 
but you know, context established, we have an idea of what we're talking about here. What is anti-discipline habits that we can engage in? I, I, I want to say, I'm going to say there are 10. And maybe there's eight, maybe there's 12, maybe there's 100, maybe I'm missing things. But th- these are the 10 that I would say, relative to the world we live in, they are, they are critical. The first anti-discipline habit you want to have, do not engage in anything that you cannot take seriously. What does serious mean? You have to ask that question. What does serious mean? Serious means anything that has meaning. And not serious is anything that doesn't have meaning. And that doesn't mean deep meaning. It doesn't mean that serious has to be ultra, you know, deathly serious, uh, you know, with, you know, utter, you know, life and death consequences. I'm not talking about serious to, to that level, although, although it could be that level. You know, I'm saying that it just serious is anything that means something where you do it. And it brings you joy, it brings you happiness, it brings you fulfillment. It brings some sense of positive you know, emotional state and some sense of eternal you know, cognitive gratitude. Where you can say, I'm glad I'm doing this. If you cannot take something seriously, you don't do it. Yeah, it's that simple as a filter. You know, why are you devoting energy to things you'd rather not do at all? And why are you doing them again? And why, and why does it not matter to you that you're putting your time into this? So that's number one. Number one anti-discipline habit do not engage in anything you can't take seriously. Number two, do not do business with anyone that you can't respect. That means exactly what it says. If you begin engaging in business relationships with people that you don't like, those relationships are always going to be a drain upon your energy, upon your soul, upon your psyche. They And they rarely ever get better. It's very uncommon that you meet somebody that you don't respect and then you grow to respect them and then you have a great relationship with them. You know, more often than not, you don't respect them it is a drag upon the entire relationship and a drag upon everything that you do, whether it's you know business, romantic, you know, friendship, whatever the case may be. It's a drag upon you. It's an anchor that weighs you down, that drowns you. Uh, and then we, those are relationships. Those are the ones that we hate. Those are the people you want to see. Those are the things that make us resent ourselves as to why the fuck did I even start this with this person in the first place? It will always be to your dissatisfaction. So don't do business relationships with the people that you cannot respect. Number third, anti-habit. Do not compromise sleep. You know, I know somebody's going to be a smartass and say, well, that's easy to say and hard to do. No shit. Is there anything in life that's harder to say and easier to do? I can't think of anything, so fuck that response. Obviously, there's going to be periods of your life when you are going to get less sleep than you need, and maintaining quality quantity of sleep will be difficult. Yes, that will happen. It It will happen. Okay. That said... If you get into a way of being where you compromise your sleep, you are compromising everything in life that is good for you. And I, and I mean that. I mean everything. People that compromise your sleep, that compromise their sleep, when you say it's okay that I'm going to be underslept and overworked and tired and fatigued, you are saying no to everything that's healthy for you because your lack of sleep is affecting your body on every single level. Okay, let me say it again. Every single fucking level, guys, is affected by lack of sleep. Your skin, your hair, your health, your hormones, your digestive enzymes, your cognitive architecture, your, syna- your synapses at fire, everything is affected by lack of sleep. If you make that your way of being, where it's okay to me that I am doing something detrimental to my health, and I don't care, okay then. Okay, all, all I will say is that nothing good comes from bad sleep, lack of sleep. Absolutely nothing good. Its negative effects on health are complete and total. If you want to compromise that, be my guest, but you are going to regret it in the long term. So if you want to design your life in a way that doesn't 
destroy your life, do not do things that compromise your sleep. That's simple. Or at least do not do them for very long periods of time. Do not fall into being that way. It is a stupid way of being to martyr yourself on the basis of telling everybody how hard you work and how little you sleep and how underslept you are. No one gives a shit. And the only thing that the only, the only thing that gives a shit is your DNA that's being chopped down telomere by telomere as you take years off your life and you get fatter and fatter. That's what gives a shit. The people around you, nobody's impressed because you can sleep only five hours and still find a way to function on nine, you know, carrots of coffee. You know, good for you. You know, let's all let's all hand clap at the person that works so hard and is so underslept. But truly, you're you're a warrior. No one cares. No one fucking cares. Don't compromise your sleep. Number four, do not let anything chronically disrupt your schedule. Again, this is, you know, contextual. There's going to be times when life gets fucked with. It will. Um, You know, when you're young, there's a certain appeal oftentimes to not having any schedule. I can do whatever I want. You find that, you live that way, you find out really fast that doing whatever you want with no schedule, nothing gets done. So the, the truth of it is, the truth is that it is impossible to be productive without some chronological structure of some type kind form and having that structure interfered with it's aggravating it's counterproductive um so you know what can be disruptive anything guys yeah anything meetings people your family your bad habits your kids you know traffic you know the list goes on like you know the list of things that can disrupt your schedule to disrupt your time management it's probably infinite um, you know, so the, the fact that it's far-reaching, you know, hopefully that's obvious to you. you know, but the point is that if you want to have a life that is to your satisfaction, you don't let things mess with your schedule and not do anything about them. So, you know, you know, these, are, these, are, these are anti-habits. These are anti, you know, this is anti-discipline, the discipline of negation. Do not let, let anything chronically disrupt your schedule. So don't allow th- these things to become obstacles and become hindrances and to become cords around your neck where you just let them exist and you let them get worse and you do nothing about them to their crisis. You know, that happens to people. I've seen that happen with clients that have kids. I've seen that happen with clients that have to work long hours. Schedule gets messed with. Oh, it's just for a few weeks. Oh, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm waking up later or I'm having to wake up early or, you know, we don't have a set time I wake up. You know, my kids wake me up. And they let it go on, let it go on. And then eventually they get to a point where the idea of having a schedule, that seems impossible to them. You, you do not want to arrive at a state of being where you think having a schedule is an impossibility. You have let your time get away from you. You are, you're doing, you know, what is the reactive form of discipline? You, you are reacting to yourself at that point. You have lived accidentally and that's your fault. So don't let anything do that. Number five, number five, anti-discipline habit. Don't commute. And I'm going to contradict myself in a few points when I tell you that uh, you need to sacrifice <laughs> and sacrifice might mean community commuting, but seriously, uh, commuting is soul crushing. It's a time killer. Everybody hates it. You know, perhaps you have a, you know, maybe you have a job where you commute and it's less than an hour and you really like the job and you listen to audiobooks and periscopes and podcasts. Cool. Uh, you know, if you have that great, but as drill heuristic commuting it is sitting, it's driving, it's traffic. Nobody likes doing it. Like I said, you know, so you'll have her possible, and of course, this is going to be one of those things where people say that's easier said than done, but you need to do it. However possible, whatever it takes, design your life so you do not have to commute. You know, or at the very least, don't have to commute long distances. You know, this will mean living places where maybe you didn't think of living. This will mean moving to places you didn't think of moving. This will mean maybe making more money so you can afford not to have to do that. But I will tell you 100% that it's worth it. I've never had any client 
ever. I've never known anyone ever in my life, client or friend or otherwise, anything where they had a commute and it made their life better. It, it always drags on everybody. If you if you can live by this principle of not commuting, you know, and set up your life so you don't have to, you're gonna have more time to live a life that you want. You aren't gonna have time stolen from you that way. So that said. Number six, do not allow uncertainty to persist for too long in any relationship you have. That's kind of a long one, you know. So number six, anti-habits, I'll say it again. Do not allow uncertainty to persist for too long in any relationship you have. What does this mean? This means that in the relationships you have with people, whether they be personal, friendship, romantic, professional, spouse, you know, some combination thereof, don't let your relationships degrade into uncertain states where you do not know where you stand with the other person and where they don't know where they stand with you. You do not want to have fuzzy relationships. Why not? Because they don't serve. Vague relationships, relationships that lack, you know, one of my favorite words, clarity, those are relationships that can start to undermine your life. Those are the relationships where you start to let them wither and you don't realize that you're being a bad friend or being a bad partner or being a bad husband or being a bad whatever girlfriend. Vague relationships are the relationships that stress you out because then you start having to, then you are no, when you have a vague relationship, you are no longer certain that you can speak the truth to that person. Good relationships of any kind are relationships where you can speak the truth to somebody and they will speak the truth back to you. That's what a good relationship is. That is certainly what a good friendship is. When your relationships are uncertain, and you are not sure if you can be honest with the other person, that's when relationships start to fall apart. That's when they start to stress you out. That's when you turn to somebody that you don't necessarily want to be because you're trying to double speak and speak in euphemisms with the person. That's when they start doing the same with you. That's when you start realizing that maybe you are living your life as a fake. Maybe you are living your life to the satisfaction of other people, but not to the satisfaction of yourself because you were never willing to clarify what your relationships were with people. So you let them you know, do the clarification for you, and now you are somebody you don't want to be. So how do you make sure that never, ever happens? Don't let uncertainty persist in your relationships. Do not. Always be clear with what it is and who you are to those around you and who they are and what they are to you. You want that clarity. You want that truth in your life. Number seven, anti-habit. Do not deal with borderline personality disorders at any cost. Where did that come from? <laughs> Where did that come from? That's kind of a left field. Well, this one means what it says. If you ever deal with people that have borderline personality disorder, BB, BPD, um, you know, it's largely women who have borderline personality disorder. Uh, you know, the male form would kind of be being a sociopathic antisocial. But if you deal with anybody that has personality disorder, you are in for a world of hell, an absolute world of hell. It, it, is, it does not go good. And this is probably a subject I could talk about to itself. But people that have personality disorder, there is no reasoning with them. There is no arguing with them. There is no rationality with them. They will hurt you, they will hurt themselves, they will destroy you, they will destroy others, uh, and they will do this regardless of how you act. Everything that you do will be provocation and reason for them to act out and to wreck everything. 
Everything that you do to them, whether you are good to them, you're lying to them. Whether you lie to them, you are deceitful to them. Whether you try to help them, uh, they will find a way to misconstrue it and to make themselves the victim and you the bad person. And it, it, it is both maddening and hellish, and they can cause immense damage to everything. You meet people that you think have borderline personality disorder, that you know, they're crazy people, crazy women or you know, crazy men, whether they're psychosociopaths. Avoid them. Avoid them. Do, do not ever, 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 ever allow those people into your life. Um, you know, like as I said, they can cause damage that is inconceivable to you until you have to deal with it. So don't do it. Number eight, anti-habit. Do not avoid sacrifice ever. How is that a habit of negation? How do you don't avoid sacrifice? Doesn't it take discipline to sacrifice? Yes, it does, but it also takes discipline to not avoid it. Yeah, you know, this is something that you know, kind of has to be clarified, and you know, maybe I probably should have mentioned this earlier. Just because you do something doesn't mean that you have a reason for doing it. Yeah, and just because you don't do something doesn't mean that you have a reason as to what that will do for you. So it's it's paradoxical truth. It goes both ways. It's complementary that way. Don't avoid sacrifice. It will happen in your life many times where if you want something, you want to create something, you want to have something, you desire something, you covet something, you must sacrifice to have it, obtain it, create it. Sacrifice is mandatory. I've said this. And for many, many, many people, avoiding avoiding sacrifice, that's a mental habit. It is. You might not think it is, but it is. You know what you need to do. You know. And you know when you are not doing it. And you know when you want something, but you also know that you're not willing to do what it takes for it. And you know when that's an attitude, because all you have to do is look at your life and what you have in it. And if it is dissatisfactory to you, and it is less than you know it could have been, then yes, you have been avoiding sacrifice, and that is a mental habit of yours. So what do you do about it? Anti-habit. Don't avoid sacrificing. Do not. If you want to bring out of you what is within yourself, you will sacrifice for it. If you do not want to sacrifice what is within for, what is within you, then what is within you will eat you alive. So pick which one you want to be. Number nine. Do not exchange short-term comfort for long-term prosperity. So this is you know example. This is really an example of this you know short-term first second-order thinking versus long-term third-order thinking. Do you want comfort or do you want prosperity? Do you want to satisfy yourself now? Do you want to be content 10 years in the future? Do you want to get paid today? Do you want to get paid tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Do you live your life short-term or long-term? Yeah, I was watching um, <laughs> I was watching Fast and the Furious the other night, which is a terrible movie, by the way. The original movie is so bad. I don't know how I ever thought that was a good movie. But I was also like, what, 10, 11 when I saw it. That was the coolest shit ever. Uh, but you know, Vin Diesel has that line in the movie, which has become you know, infamous for the cheesiness of it. Um, you know, I, can't, I can't do a Vin Diesel voice, but uh, you know, I, I live my life a quarter mile at a time. You know that whole spiel, um, which sounds great when you're like 15, and that's really badass. You know, you just don't give a shit about what comes tomorrow. Fuck tomorrow. It's all about you know, it's all about the night, man. It's all about the rides, about the drive. You know, we're racers. Uh, yeah, that's a stupid way to be, people. That's a stupid, stupid, stupid way to be. There's a reason that they end up in prison. And, you know, in real life, you know, that whole crew of people, they'd all be dead already. Um, they would not be doing international hijinks in, you know, their 80th film. If you, if you reward yourself 
in ways that you don't deserve, you are never going to earn anything. You won't. Because you've set up your relationship with what you have set up your relationship of value that you have with your time and what that is worth to you. you know, people that trade short-term comfort you know, for long-term gains, people that you know, only think day-to-day where they cannot conceptualize the future, they cannot conceptualize the future. If you can think ahead and think long-term and think 5, 10, 20, 30 years as to who you are going to turn into, then it will make sense to you that you want to make decisions that account for the third order, that you want to make decisions that will serve you now and tomorrow, and the next week, and the next month, and so on and so forth. That will be sensible. I had a, I had a young gentleman I was talking to earlier. He was asking me, you know, what is my advice I would give my you know, 20-year-old self? I wouldn't give my 20-year-old self any advice because I didn't listen to anybody when I was 20. I barely listen to people now. The advice I try to give myself, that I try to live by, is thinking, what would my 40-year-old self wished my 20-year-old self had done? Yeah, and, and that begs the question of who is my four-year-old self? Who is my 60-year-old self? Who am I going to be when I'm 80? Who is that person? Let me try to see that as clear as I can and then work backwards to what I should be doing right now. That's thinking long-term. Short-term would be, you know what? I'm making some money right now, so I'm going to go spend it on a... I'm going to go lease a car that, yeah, because I can afford it and then I can say I drive an Audi or BMW or some bullshit like that. Don't act, do not act that way. Do not be that way. You know, to those who have much, much shall be given. To those who have nothing, everything shall be taken from them. You know, and to spend that, to those who plan ahead, you know, prosperous they shall be. To those who do not plan, they are going to be destitute. And it doesn't rhyme, but I don't care. Number 10, last thing. Last thing, last anti-habit, habit of negation. You know, discipline of negation. Number 10, do not do whatever they, in quotes, say you should do. Who is they? I've been asking people that question for years, ever since I was a young child, because I always hated in conversation that you can say something and, well, you know what they say, you know how it is, you know, well, that's just how it's supposed to, you know, that's what you're supposed to do, that's what we were raised with, that's just what, that, it's always the same shit. That's just, it's, it's they, well, you know, no, I don't know, I don't know, tell me, tell me who they is. Tell, tell me what it is that you're just supposed to do. Tell me why it is you think that way. Tell me why it is you go through life and you question nothing of anything with any social narrative you are given, and you presume that you're going to have a life of excellence and prosperity and richness by not thinking about things and going along with the crowd. You know, tell me when the average of anything has ever been the excellence of any kind of standard. It's not. The average is the average for a reason. Mediocrity is mediocrity for a reason. People are of the masses for a reason, living unremarkable lives of quiet desperation for a reason, for many reasons, because they don't question anything. You know, so who's they? They is everything. They is the people that told my whole generation that everybody needed to go to college and that any degree was better than no degree. They is the people that lied to the American public and said that, you know, a high carb diet is good for you. You know, they is the people that tell you you should trust your government. You know, they as the people where the, you're watching the news and the news puts words and, and ideas into your brain that capture you. They're nothing more than sound bites. But you believe them because you hear them and somehow you trust that as an authority. You know, they as that friend that you asked for advice even though they don't even have any experience in the thing you're asking them advice in. Yet you ask them. You know, they as the, they as the family members that want to tell you how to live even though their lives are pathetic piles of garbage in which they have nothing to be proud of. 
and their whole way of being is something that you'd never want to be. But yet, they're your family, so their opinion must be worth something. No, it's not worth fucking anything. You don't listen to what they say. If you want to live your life on your terms, you investigate things, you realize that things, that there are levels of truth to reality, you realize that if you want to live a good life, that you have to practice and internalize, and, you know, if nothing else, if nothing else, you have to learn, you sure as hell have to learn, and you have to be perceptive. You have to be able to see things and understand things on multiple levels and on multiple ways, and there is no single one window to the truth. You do that, then you'll see how things work. You'll see many things, how many things work. If you don't do that, well, then you can be having your 40-year-old self-midlife crisis, realizing that what you were told about how you should do things was a big freaking lie because the only certainty to life is that everything is going to change. So you can either change ahead of it, or you can be completely and utterly behind it. So, that is anti-discipline for you. The things that you do not do to live the life that you want to live. I'm going to end that there. This is a pretty long podcast. Hopefully you guys got some value out of this. And hopefully you enjoyed the email article that went along with it. If you like this podcast, if you like the emails, I'm going to unabashedly implore you guys, at, not implore, I'm going to unabashedly ask you guys to make a monthly Patreon donation to the Patreon Uh yeah, the it's Alexander Wontino Cortez, the Art of Health. I'm on Patreon. When I get to 1,000 patrons, I thought about this actually for a while. You know, what, should, what should I do? There's tiers. You know, for everyone that donates $5 or more a month, I am hosting a live video chat for all the patrons of $5 or more a month. For everyone that donates $30 or more, you get lifetime access to all published content they ever make, training, books, everything. You don't have to pay for it. You're already paying for it. You're already paying for it. Uh, the people in the $30 and $50 tier, they also get uh, their own YouTube you know, live chat for themselves. And I also, I also call those people monthly. Um, you also get lifetime. If you donate $50 or more, you get lifetime access to any event I ever do. So you don't have to pay for a ticket. Um, but, what, you know, Patreon, you know, what, what's the big thing for the Patreon? Since, you know, that's always the thing. Like, well, you're doing the rewards, but, like, you know, what are you really trying to do for people? You guys that listen to me that are, you know, fans of this point... I produce a massive amount of content, and yeah, I have a lot of books and things and courses planned. But do you guys really give a shit about that? You know, everybody had to think about this. You know, should I have some magnum opus, oh, some magnum opus product, something that I'm creating? And when I hit this much money, guys, I'm gonna do this for you. I don't have anything. I don't have anything because people, I'm 29 years old, and I'm only sharing with you what I've learned to this point. And I think it would be presumptuous to say that I'm gonna have some grandiose master project that will match everything. Um, you know, maybe at a certain point I, you know, expand the services that I offer and, you know, I do get better media, you know, setup, gig, microphone, video, stream stuff. Yeah, yeah there are things I want to do and obviously money pays for that. But what's the real goal? The Patreon, the thing that's fun, taco party. When I get to a thousand patrons, which at that point will represent 1000 true fans, I'm throwing everybody on Twitter, the email list, the Patreon, a massive frickin' taco party. It's going to be at San Diego. It's going to be, I think, Pacific Beach. It's going to be on the water. We're going to have God knows how many taco trucks need to be there. And I'm going to get everybody drunk and happy. And, you know, maybe people will hook up. Who the hell knows? But it's going to be the world's best taco party ever. I'm going to host it. I'm going to plan it. You're all invited. And it goes down when the Patreon gets to 1,000 people. So if you want to donate to the Patreon, by all means, do so. You are contributing to a good, good cause. 
and that causes tacos. Until next time, guys, I will say adios, good luck, good night, and don't do things you hate. <laughs>